0: But let's get right to it. I want to talk about no cash bail. It's going to take effect in September. Uh, The Illinois Supreme Court this past week upheld the law, the portion of the law that uh, does away with cash bail. And I want to talk about what it really means. Whether you like this idea or not like this idea, keep your mind open about what it's really going to mean and is it really going to affect uh, the city and the state as much as it's being made to to sound like it's going to affect us. And with us to break down the legalities is Damon Sharonis. He's a friend of the show. He's one of the finest criminal defense attorneys in Chicago. If I were in trouble, he he's on my speed dial, let's put it that way. And he is a founder of Sharonis Parente and Levitt. He's a fierce advocate. He does federal white-collar violent crimes, drug and sex crimes. He represented Phil Mogul Harvey Weinstein in his sexual assault case in New York. And he represented uh, one of the defendants in the mob secrets trial. Damon, you're you're always associated with these wonderful people. Is it just part of what you do for a living? Is that fair to say?
1: Oh, absolutely. (laughs) You know, know, I I, I represent a lot of colorful individuals, and, (laughs) you know, what people don't realize is that, that most of them uh, are, are very decent people who get themselves caught in some uh, unfortunate situations.
0: Yeah, it seems like these kinds of people only you, you only remember them by that last bad act that that, that put yeah, them uh, sure. put them in the in the headlines. Well, let's you know, as I said, Illinois Supreme Court upheld the safety act that uh, the portion that eliminated cash bail. So, can you explain a little bit to our listeners about how the system worked briefly when it came to pretrial detention, when I mean that, a criminal defendant is charged with a crime, and then the question is, is that person going to be out of jail, pending trial, or incarcerated, pending trial? How did it work before no cash bail?
1: Sure. So you'd have a bond hearing, you know, usually right after arrest, and at the bond hearing, the state sort of reads the charges, they give a or about sort of some of the aggravating factors Then the defense attorney gives a proffer about his version of the case and some mitigating factors. And then what usually happens is the judge, uh, there are certain cases where they would give no bail, but oftentimes they would come up with a number, you know, a, a monetary number that the individual would have to post to get out pending trial.
0: So a lot of people seem to think that the setting of bail is sort of punitive in that, hey, you know what, you are alleged to have done something really bad. We're going to give you a large amount of money that you have to come up with. But that's not the purpose of bail, right?
1: No, I mean, the purpose of bail, you know, you're looking at two things as a judge. You're looking at, you know, protecting the community while the individual is out on bond. So you have to look at whether there's a danger to the community, and the other thing is you have to sort of try to assure as best you can that the individual is going to appear in court and face the charges. And I think that the money aspect really goes to sort of the second prong, whether somebody's going to be a flight risk or not, because, you know, they have some skin in the game and sometimes family members post the money. And that whether or not that actually works worked, whether or not it actually was sort of the moral hook and the financial hook to get people back to court, I think that was the idea behind it.
0: And there were plenty of poor people who were charged with less lesser crimes, property crimes, nonviolent crimes, who couldn't get out because they didn't have $500, and there there were people who were accused of murder whose family members or maybe gang members had money and were able to get out, Right.
1: Sure, and that was the big problem. I mean, I I I remember maybe not my cases, but you're right. People would be arrested for retail theft at Walgreens for stealing, you know, a carton of cigarettes or whatever, and they'd be in jail for a year because they couldn't post five hundred dollars. I mean, that's insane. Uh, You know, that that's not you know fair in any in any system. But you're right. The flip side is true. Then there are individuals charged with significant crimes who could come up with the money. So there's this, this thought that everybody should sort of have a fair shot at bail. And I think that was one of the the reasons they sort of pushed this, uh, you know, through the, through the legislation, Um, you know, whether it's going to work or not, I don't know. I've got some, some, some thoughts on it though.
0: Yeah. Let's, uh, Let's regroup. Let's let's take a break now. And when we come back, I'm going to talk about this. And I also want to talk about the Donald Trump target letter that he received. There was an announcement that he received a target letter in the case involving the January 6th Capitol issue. And I want to delve a little bit deeper into what does it really mean and what can we expect in the upcoming weeks. You're listening to WGN. I'm talking to Damon Sharonis and I'm Karen Conti. We'll be back in a minute. Anyway, we're gonna we're gonna talk about Donald Trump in a little bit. Well, let's finish up on cash bail and Damon Sharonis, Thank you for joining me. I hope you like that musical interlude. Um, founder of Sharonas. that was not
1: Tony Bennett, wasn't?
0: <laughs> was, actually you know it should have been. I would like his version of that with Lady Gaga maybe. Yeah. Um, founder of Sharonas Parente and Levitt. Uh, Damon is one of the best criminal defense attorneys in this in the state and in the country. He goes all over and represents people all over the place. Let's talk. We talked about how the system worked before cash bail was eliminated. But how do you envision this working, Damon? Because like, you're in there in the trenches. You're in these prisons. You're in the jails, you know, the holding places. You're in the courts on these bond hearings. Tell me how you think this is going to play out.
1: So I think, you know, the the real place to look is federal court, because federal court has a very similar sort of uh, set in how they set bail. So we're going to have detention hearings now. And detention hearings are more fulsome hearings. It's not just going to be like a two minute, you know, quick recitation of what happened. You know, you're going to have uh, stronger arguments by the defense and the prosecution is going to have to seek detention. And then the judge is going to have to determine whether there are any conditions that can be set to sort of protect the community, or to have somebody come back to court, and I think what's going to happen, truly, is that a lot of judges who would otherwise give a cash bond to maybe a violent crime are just going to be detaining more individuals on more serious cases. So this idea that the uh, you know elimination of cash bond is going to let you know, alleged violent criminals on the street pending trial, I don't think that's going to happen. I think there is going to be the opposite effect.
0: You know, I am not in the trenches. I I used to do this kind of work to some extent, and I came to the same conclusion because if cash bail is not available and, and the judge says, well, you know, maybe an ankle bracelet or boundary mon- you know, boundary uh, limits is, are not going to be followed, the judge is going to err on the side of keeping the community safe, I would think. You know, most judges are, you know, they're elected and not to say that that's what they base their, their rulings on, but they don't want somebody who they have let out commit another crime. And I, I, I think this might have the opposite effect of what people are thinking.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the good part about it is is that for, for the smaller cases, for some property crimes, for things like that, where the individuals are not a danger, they're not going to have to come up with money, right? So that that part of it is is, is going to be sort of successful. But for a lot of, you know, uh, individuals, you know, I've got some friends uh, and colleagues who have individuals who are on bond right now for some significant criminal cases who think that their bonds are going to be revoked. Once this law goes into effect, because there are going to be new hearings on this, and because they can't post money any longer, uh, they're concerned that their clients are going to be taken into custody. So I think a lot of it's going to, de- you know, be based on sort of the judge's discretion. But you're right; these judges don't want to be in the newspaper uh, saying they let somebody out on you know their fourth gun case, and that individual. You know, shot somebody. I mean, that's just the reality of it. Uh, so I think it's going to be sort of uh, the, the pendulum's going to swing in the other direction. That's my take, especially in some of these other counties, DuPage County, Will County, uh, counties that might not be as liberal with bonds. Uh, they're going to be locking a lot more people up.
0: Yeah, so it, it should be interesting. It's going to take effect mid-September, and uh, and I think we should keep track of it, and I'm sure there are going to be people keeping track of the statistics on whether the people who have been released you know, are going to be recidivists, and, and I know those studies sure. have been conducted in different areas all over the country that have had bail reform, but bail reform is, means different things in different places. This is the first jurisdiction, to my understanding, that has eliminated cash bail altogether. Is that your understanding?
1: Yeah, there have been some states that have eliminated cash bail for certain offenses, but not, you know, sort of uh, fully eliminated it. I think Illinois is the first state to just fully uh, abolish cash bail.
0: So let's talk, let's switch to uh, Donald Trump. He announced that he was the recipient of a target letter. Can you tell our listeners what a target letter is?
1: Yeah, it, it, it's probably the top three letters you never want to get. Um, a target letter, <laughs> and
0: one from the IRS, probably audit. That I wouldn't yeah, want that right? one either. I right? mean,
1: <laughs> sometimes they come hand in hand. But uh, <laughs> a target letter, you're basically being notified by a federal prosecutor or a grand jury that you are what it sounds like, the target of a federal uh, criminal investigation, and that they have developed substantial evidence linking you to a crime. You know, and they believe they can indict you. So it's 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 the it's the ultimate shot over the bow.
0: Yes, and does a federal does a federal uh, prosecutor have to send a target letter if they intend to indict?
1: No, I mean, you can think of a number of situations where the government would not want to notify a target that they're about to be indicted, right? You could have, you know, a drug conspiracy that's going on, a potential violent crime where somebody's going to flee. So you don't have to be notified in advance of being charged. But they do do it in a number of cases for various reasons. Um, Oftentimes in white-collar cases or things like that, you'll get a target letter. And then what defense attorneys sometimes do, if their client is, you know, involved in an investigation, is you'll ask for a non-target letter. In other words, you'll ask the government to give you a letter saying your client is not the target of an investigation.
0: So that would make that person more likely to cooperate?
1: Yeah, just, you know, take a little, uh, uh, you know, a little stress off of them and, you know, they'd be more likely to maybe speak to the government whether they're going to cooperate or not, but it just gives them sort of, uh, you know, some freedom to do, uh, to have some more options.
0: And, in in this case, um, do we have any idea? I mean, obviously we're speculating, but what what they were talking about? Three potential charges involving the allegations that Trump attempted to interfere with the 2020 election. Uh, the media is reporting the three being a conspiracy to commit an offense or to defraud the United States, a civil rights conspiracy charge, and tampering with a witness, victim, or informant. Can you go through those? Possible charges and tell us what kind of facts would have to be necessary to have those kinds of charges.
1: Sure. I think, you know, the government, the prosecutors sort of work, I don't want to say backwards necessarily, but they have all of these facts really surrounding January 6th, the, the alleged insurrection, the voter uh, tampering, and then they go to their, you know, federal prosecution handbook and they figure out what statutes fit within that. And of course, a conspiracy uh is you know the the favorite charge of a prosecutor because you have to prove a criminal agreement right and in this case you know they are they have a number of ways they could do it you know the conspiracy was to maybe pressure state officials uh to send fake electors and and you know all of that stuff so you know everything that's involved in that if they can prove a criminal agreement that that's one element Uh, or that's one charge they can bring. The civil rights conspiracy one is actually the most interesting one, I think, because, you know, that law goes back to, you know, Reconstruction era when, you know, uh, African-American voters were being, you know, threatened and intimidated. And it really surrounds the idea that every voter has the right to have their vote honestly counted. And that is, you know, sort of, I think a safer uh, position the government's taking than charging him with insurrection. You know, here they can say he conspired to deprive their voters in a number of ways, you know, and they've been, they've been talked about and and, and we've read about them, but you know, the, the issues regarding Michigan and false certifications in Georgia, I mean, there's all of these alleged uh, ways that, that Trump tried to flip votes and do these things. And if they can show that these were done with the purpose of sort of disenfranchising uh, you know voters votes uh, legitimate votes then you know that that's going to be probably one of the stronger and most interesting charges because it brings into play all of the alleged conduct surrounding sort of January 6th and all of these other things that went on in the weeks after that
0: and the third one tampering with a witness victim or informant what what might that be about?
1: You no, know, that, that might be sort of the way the statute is written, but there are other, you know, it, it doesn't mean he was necessarily tampering with somebody. You know, they could, they could bring it for his efforts to try to prevent Pence from certifying, you know, Biden's election. That's one thing they could do. There can be evidence that he was trying to obstruct or influence individuals throughout the election process. So, you know, they didn't really spell that out. And that's more of, I don't want to say a catch-all but it's him, again, trying to sort of obstruct uh, an official proceeding or the election from being fairly counted. So a lot of these are sort of they go together. You know, they're not all necessarily independent or separate charges, but they all sort of come from that, that same you know history of facts.
0: So, what's interesting to me is that you know we've had all these five hundred or so defendants prosecuted for capital riots and and all of that, but none of these, unless I am missing something, none of these three uh, potential crimes involve him doing something to stoke that behavior. Is that does that what you understand?
1: Well, I think that, you know, it depends on, you know, what what they're talking about in the 241 violation, right? The civil rights conspiracy charge. I mean, that can you can bring into play a lot of, you know, a lot of conduct there. And some of that might start with, you know, the alleged insurrection and some of the things he said and his beginning to attempt to try to sort of corrupt the vote. And, and that might be the start of it. So they would have the benefit of being able to get into that portion of the story um, without charging an actual insurrection, which, you know, there's not a lot of history of that. And there's not a lot of precedent. I think this is a much safer charge. And this carries a potential 10-year sentence. So the January 6th insurrection, uh, alleged insurrection, you know, that will be part of any case against Donald Trump just because it isn't charged you know, officially as an insurrection. doesn't mean we're not going to hear that story at the trial.
0: One final question before I have to let you go. Do you think others will be charged with him in the same case, or do you think this is going to be um, a charge just against him?
1: You know, I I don't know. I mean, I think that you never know. There can be unindicted co-conspirators. I mean, obviously, they've interviewed a million people. Um, You know, they may be giving certain individuals immunity. Um, You know, I don't want to say any names specifically, but I think we all know some of the individuals who may be charged with them. Some of them have, you know, been threatened to have been charged for some time now. So I would not be surprised if there were additional co-conspirators charged. Or the government might say, look, we just want to focus on him. Uh, and, and have him be the only named defendant, which is a which is sometimes, you know, uh, an easier case, that they yeah. take.
0: Damon yeah. Sharonis, I'm going to have to say goodbye. A founder of Sharonis Parente and Levitt. how do we get in touch with you quickly?
1: Uh, you can just, you know, my website, SharonisLaw.com. Uh, it's got links to, you know, our cases are, uh, you know, my number, and that's probably the best way to get a hold of me.
0: Thank you, Damon. Take care, and thank you for joining us on a Sunday. We'll be back in a minute.